listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Sarah and talking about adopting again after a long gap. Hi Sarah. Hi Tor. Hiya, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I was really curious about your story because you had one child and then you waited a really long time to have a second one. Can you give me a bit of an overview? Yeah, sure. Um, So we adopted first time uh, about nine years ago. Um, Our son was placed with us and um, and then we've waited sort of eight and a half years for um, number two to come along. Um, And I think it was just more sort of circumstance in terms of getting our house big enough and all that type of thing for the, the large gap. Yeah. So do you think if that hadn't been an issue, you might have gone again sooner? Possibly. Um, I think it's useful to have a sizable gap in that they're in different stages of their lives. Um, so it also means that they're less likely to be sort of directly competing over certain aspects. I mean, they still do compete, but maybe not to the same level that you might have if you've got them when they're very close together in age. Uh, yeah, no, I understand that completely. So, I mean, it sounds like you adopted for the first time around the same time that I was adopting. That time scale sounds the same. Do you want to talk about a bit about what it was like back then, what your expectations were, what your experience was and so on? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it was a long journey for us then. Um, it took us two years to get approved Um, And it took us one and a half years to get matched. So three and a half years in total from sort of first application, which was difficult, really, really difficult, really challenging. Um, But, you know, they say your child finds you. And and I would really say that's true about our son. You know, he's he's just an integral part of our family and he's slotted in straight away. Um, And, you know, he's he's developing into a a really lovely lad, you know, who's about to embark on his teenage years now. It was interesting in that um, we're transracial adopters. So that was also another extra bit of difference that came along. And I think possibly the start of a new group of adopters, particularly LGBTQ adopters that are transracial adopters as well. How has that featured in your lives since he came to you? I think we have changed. We've opened our eyes a lot more. I think we were relatively open to racial issues, but I think only once you're more submerged in that can you really truly understand it. I mean, you you can have friends and you can have other family members, but until it's really integral in your life, do I think that you really truly appreciate the world that we're in and the effects that it can have. Generally, our son's had a very positive experience, but it's just being very much mindful about what the world is out there for him and how it perceives him. Yes, and I guess as he approaches his teens, that's even more at the front of your minds, I would imagine. Yeah, very much so. So, I mean, the whole um, discussion around Black Lives Matter has been quite important for us as a family because I think that's possibly the first real time for him that he's been more exposed to the level of discrimination that there is out there and I think it was very surprising for him but but he's you know it's it's a good thing to be talking about now certainly. 
How did you feel talking to him about that? It was hard. Um, it was hard. And it's, it's a, you're sort of always worrying for your child. Um, you worry for any child. But I think when you feel that for, for whatever he brings to anything in his life, he could completely just be looked at totally differently just because of the colour of his skin and therefore not given that opportunity. So we've always been trying to instil in him in terms of it's it's unfair, but actually, you know, you do always need to try your best because people will be looking for any little chink possibly and therefore you don't want to give them that option. So it, it's it's a real challenge, but I think it's it's great for him to start appreciating this now as a sort of, you know, in his sort of coming up to teenage years so that it's not such a shock. And then hopefully, given the discussion there is starting to be around Black Lives Matter, that hopefully there will be some progress between now and when he becomes a young adult as well. Yes, absolutely. And um, hopefully things will, yeah, will improve. But it, it is, it's quite a difficult one to to address and particularly if you don't have that lived experience so it sounds like with your son things were quite straightforward really would that be fair to say yeah overall I'd say in terms of once we were matched with him and then once he came to join us everything sort of worked really pretty well you know he he went to nursery and then on to school and he's always really enjoyed school which has been great and he's always been a pretty easy child to parent to be perfectly honest that's excellent well done (laughs) and then so what age was he when you started having serious conversations about adopting again it was probably about he was probably about uh, seven or so seven or eight I mean he'd been asking prior to that can I have a brother or sister started off can I have a sister Then it was, can I have a brother or sister? Then it became, can I have a brother? And then it went back to, can I just have a sibling? Um, And it was, um, I think it was because we had friends that went on and added to their family. Um, So I think that very much through, you know, the friends we've made through New Family Social and that he'd seen that sort of story play out and sort of thought, well, why not for our family? Yeah, fair enough. He's got a good point. <laughs> so how were you both on board with doing it again? Because it's quite a thing to get a child to the age that you have and start again. I, I, I was the resistant one, um, to be perfectly honest. Um, I was like, why do we want to do this again? Why do we want to let social workers into our lives again? You know, I'm happy with what we've got. But Michelle has always wanted at least one more child. I've told her that there is no way we are having three Um, and that's not because they're not great it's just yeah just there's a lot there's a lot to do isn't there so um yeah yeah, I I was very much the resistant one but yeah in the end uh she managed to twist my arm enough (laughs) so you approached an agency again did you use the same agency or somebody else we managed to track down our old social worker that took us through matching uh, with our son. Okay. Um, she'd actually moved to another agency nearby, and now they've all become part of one big agency since then. So, yeah, we managed to track her down, and she checked whether she was able to assess us again, 
and she was so it was quite a quick assessment only three months this time oh that's good and obviously timescales have been shortened dramatically but three months is really quick yeah i mean we didn't have to do the sort of part one aspect um because she was able to take uh get get hold of our previous par and sort of take the history and then we could just add from that equally because we'd been doing bits of sort of training over the years they were able to use that and they also they weren't running any sort of adopting for a second time courses so they felt it would be wouldn't be in our interests to go on a sort of first time adopters course because it just probably wouldn't be relevant that's really good it sounds like they were able to flex the system quite well i've heard some people say that sometimes it's not flexible that second time round you end up doing the whole lot again I think we benefited from our social worker in that she's highly experienced and somebody that would probably run a lot of the courses. So um, she was then able to say in her experience, she felt that, you know, we'd kept on top of the literature. We'd attended other sort of courses over the years in between and, and that in her opinion, yeah, they, they were able to take that. So, yes, we were very lucky. That's really good. So when you started family finding the second time, I guess suddenly it isn't just about the two of you anymore. It's about how the dynamic will work for everybody and how the new child can fit in with everybody. Did you find that really different? Yeah, it was it was it was almost sort of like you didn't have the same level of flexibility that you probably did first time round. So I remember our son saying to us, stop being so picky once they get here they'll be fine and they'll just settle in and we were sort of like well it's a lot more complicated than that but yeah you know it was it was very different very different. Did you have um, an upper age limit in mind or would you have considered a child almost up to the age of your son? Ideally we were looking for under three Um, the reason being that is that that was a sort of age that our son was placed with us and we felt that our we were best suited to that and also just in terms of the experiences that they would have had but also so that they could have and benefit from having a whole year at home with Michelle during her adoption leave. Right yes so they wouldn't be going out to school you mean? Absolutely that yeah. Yes so you found another child tell us a little bit about her. Yeah so we've now got a little girl she's two and a half and she's also mixed um so it's another transracial adoption so we were very much looking for a child that would have an element of link to our son ethnically because we felt that that was really really important for us so that they could have that link between each other and also just to sort of just fill the family in a sort of nice or complete way yes i can understand that and so how old was she when she came to you she just turned two a couple of weeks beforehand. Oh, so it's quite a recent placement. Yes, yes. So she's only been with us about six months. Okay. So tell me about how you managed introductions, not least because it's been lockdown. <laughs> yeah, so the first thing we had to do was we all had to um, isolate for seven days before we could start the introductions. They truncated the introductions to just sort of five days and actually, it felt shorter than that because, you, you know, that sort of first day when you only meet them for a short period of time. Yes. Um, that almost sort of seemed like hardly anything. But we had done an awful lot of 
on sort of video calls with her. So we would sort of a couple of weeks beforehand, we started doing video calls. So it started off being like a couple per week. And then it got to the point whereby we were probably doing four or five per week. And we also made lots of little videos of us just doing things in the house so that when we came to meet her, she already sort of knew us. That's really nice. Was she able to engage with that at the age that she was? Because she was very little. Um, There were times where she really engaged with it. And then there were other times where she really wasn't interested. Um, As you can imagine, (laughs) you know, that's that's their prerogative, isn't it, at that age? Yes. So it was sort of, we, we just played it by ear. And the whole thing was, was not to get upset if she wasn't in the mood. You just sort of went, okay, well, fine, we'll leave it there. And the foster carer was very good because if she felt that she was in a better place later on, she'd drop us a message and say like, oh, she's, you know, are you free for a call now? And we just sort of, if we could, we'd try and do a quick call with her then. But then otherwise, other times we'd just go, okay, we'll leave it for the day because we've spoken to her loads anyway. So um, you just had to be flexible, really. And was your son involved in some of those calls? Yeah, he was. Um, We actually had him involved in those calls from the beginning because we felt it would be a bit odd for him to know that we were talking to her and him be like in the other room. We just thought that that was weird for him. So he was involved. He also made little videos of him reading stories and things like that to her as well. So he was really involved in it. And then was he involved once the introductions became face to face? Was he able to come with you or were there restrictions to that? So the first day was just myself and Michelle. And we were able to, at that point, form a sort of um, a childcare bubble with my parents so that they could look after him for that day and that night. They then brought him up to near where we were staying because it, it was a distance away from where we live. So they then brought him up and dropped him to where we were staying. And then he came and met her in the afternoon of the second day. So we'd done like a, a brief introduction to her on the on the sort of the first day and then we'd seen her in the morning and then um, our son came along later in the afternoon. Were you ever sort of nervous in your own self about the change that you were about to inflict on your child, if you like? Because I know that when I took my older two, two introductions with the youngest one, I was really, really worried that we didn't we hadn't had to do this we chose to do this the lives were really happy and it felt like in the darker moments it felt like rolling a dice when I needn't have done it and I was very very worried for what impact it was going to have I think that was probably my initial feelings as to why I was a bit well in fact very reluctant at first to adopt for a second time once we'd actually started to see some videos of our daughter and then started to interact with our daughter through the video calls it just felt like this this will work Mm. she took to our son amazingly and he took to her really well as well so i sort of from that that gave a sort of internal confidence that it would and comforting feeling actually that it it would be all right and and that they they would work really well together that's really really lovely and so um you got to the end of the intros and brought her home how was that um it was a bit manic because we didn't have any social worker involvement at this point now normally when you um the child you to go to take the child home there will be a social worker present and the family were very very upset 
um, the foster family were very upset about her leaving. And they'd done a great job with her and they re- they really did love her. So you could understand that, but it, it made it quite tricky. But in the end, we managed to get her in the car and it was fine, but it was quite different to our experience with our son, whereby, again, he was very much loved by his foster carer, but I think she was a bit more experienced, so she was a bit more used to sort of helping hand over said child because yes. it does, unfortunately, it does feel like child snatching. It's awful. And you yeah. just have to get through it and not think about what you're actually doing and just get in the car and drive, really. I remember that. I did feel like I had kidnapped this child. It was just awful. And then they were like ringing to see how he was and they probably knew what he needed and I didn't know what he needed. And it was just, yeah, you do feel like you've stolen one. Yeah, it, it is a mad, mad thing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how were those first few days? They were interesting. She didn't. She she didn't really have any. I mean, she's only really starting to get words now, so her speech is a little bit behind. And at the time, there was probably a fair amount of squealing and screeching going on, just through frustrations, I think. And also, she was. I think she was quite scared at first, even though she was, times could be really, really happy with us, and you know, take always took comfort from us. But there'd be times where she'd sort of lash out quite a bit but then it didn't take long for her to settle down and she slept really well all the way through thank goodness (laughs) so that was a a massive relief because that could have been an absolute nightmare um because you know it probably would have woken our son up as well so we'd have all been knackered but fortunately she slept really well so she sat yeah it, it didn't take long she's very she's got a She's got a little bit of self-confidence about her, which is quite nice, which is quite different to the way our son was. Our son was a lot more, a lot quieter, a bit more, lot more withdrawn when he first came. Didn't really want to go outside, wanted to just sort of cement himself at home. Whilst our daughter very much more was happy to go out, wanted to get out. Um, and we're so fortunate to just have a lovely little park at the end of our road that we could just sort of go down there, get outside and then, you know, come back home. So, and I think the lockdown sort of helped a bit in that we could, it was so much easier to not have people come and visit you. Yes. You're not the first person I've heard say that. I spoke to someone else and they did intros during lockdown and he said the same, that they would have felt pressured so much sooner to have a stream of visitors through. And he also felt they benefited enormously from not having that. I think it did help um, and also meant that we could then, because of the time it was, you could sort of meet people outside. So we could then sort of organise a bumping into outside and then it would mean that catching up with people would only take for a certain period of time and then you could then come away. So it was good to introduce her to people. But it was also important for our son that he wasn't completely ripped away from the world. But it enabled that amount of sort of control, really. Yeah, there's probably lessons to be learned in there somewhere about how we ought to do that period after a child's placed. Yeah, I think it's really important. I think you really just sort of have to go go with how you feel yourself, but also how the child is. As I said, our son, he needed a lot longer at home with just us, whilst our daughter didn't need that same level of time but certainly you need to get that sort of strength of bond so that they're coming to you and all of that and I think I think until you experience it you don't really appreciate the importance of it. 
did your son take her straight away then? He obviously did during the intros, but I guess seeing a baby on a camera and having a baby plonked into the middle of your life is really different. And I just wonder, how did he cope? Well, it was interesting. He started saying to her, good night, I love you from the first night, which was amazing. And so he did really take to her and and they and they they get on really really well i mean they really are siblings and they seem to look more and more alike every day <laughs> they wind each other up he winds her up she winds him up um, <laughs> but they do really love each other they do really care for each other and i think yeah he took to her well he took to her well there are times where he's like oh for goodness sake will she just be quiet stop <laughs> screaming or why can't she just do as she's been asked to do? And I sort of then look at him with that look of, mm, I do wonder that with you as well at times. <laughs> so it's quite interesting for him because he's sort of seeing it twisted. So I think there's times where he goes, I can understand why you get annoyed with me because it is annoying when she doesn't do as you want her to do. So the gap between them is about nine years, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, so between my eldest and my youngest is, what, seven years, something like that? Six years, I don't know, something like that. But it's actually really nice. The the older one does seem to feel very protective of the youngest one. Yeah, he is, he is really protective. And we just have to watch that he doesn't try to parent. That's one thing we've had mm. to keep an eye on. Um, and it's just because he... He cares and he and he just wants to be sort of involved. So we've had to remind him there are times where, you know, ask, we're the ones that need to make the decisions on things, not you. So that's just trying to get that cemented. And we're getting there, actually. He's a lot better now. And whilst before he sort of started wanting to try and make decisions, whilst now he, he seems to be sort of relaxing and, um, appreciated where his role is a lot more. That's really nice. It just sounds like it's really clicked into place. Yeah, I think we've been really lucky. I think we've been really lucky both times round in that they both work really well together, but then they're both just quite different, but in a really nice way. Um, and they do click. So, yeah, we've been so lucky. Our son, we were so lucky with him first time round, and then yeah, it's it's amazing really. All my sort of worries and concerns are sort of um, fallen away really. I've, you know, I would have been the person saying to people, oh, you know, you want to be careful about adopting a second, but now I'm a bit like, well, it worked. Yes. <laughs> and how did you find it going right back to having a tiny one again? We didn't want to go too tiny, so that's why we were sort of looking for under three really, because of having time at home with Michelle and stuff but we didn't want to go too tiny because I I was just thinking going in terms of our experiences really and also that was sort of like that sort of played into it as well so I think we were probably always looking for a child that was over one if at all over one and most of the time in adoption you're unlikely to get a child that's under one anyway although weirdly enough we had some 10 month olds placed in front of us which was a bit mad oh wow but yeah it it, it, it was it's weird and you you sort of go oh my god yeah we've been through this before yeah they, this is normal they are just doing what two-year-olds do which is a bit mad but fun <laughs> yeah I do think toddlers are quite a challenging age I mean I'm sure every age has its challenges but they're mobile they're vocal they're opinionated but not vocal enough to reason with. And it, it's just this little whirlwind, like the little Tasmanian devil or something that comes into your life. Um, and yeah, I think it can be quite full on. 
yeah that reasoning thing is it, that's i think that's 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 the biggest thing is that we've got you know our son some you can talk to all right you might not always agree with what you're saying but at least you can have a reasoned conversation with him but with a, a you know a two-year-old a toddler that's you know if they want to do something it's really really hard but yeah it, it's it's just par for the game isn't it really yeah absolutely <laughs> so will you do it again no way <laughs> no way no no house isn't big enough so that's number one tick <laughs> well done <laughs> um yeah I, I i think you know you've got to know your capacities they work really well and i've never liked the idea of there being more children than adults yeah i i live the more children than adults thing and it's it's interesting yeah that TV show outnumbered. I absolutely understand why they called it that, and um, it's true. Suddenly, all three will be crying, and you think, "Now what?" We had this thing where the hamster died, and I had to break it to everyone. Well, we had a, a few hamsters, and the first time I told all three at once, and they all immediately melted down. So I'd got three sobbing children about this hamster, and I've learnt now that I tell them one at a time when when hamsters die, as they regularly seem to. I'll start with the biggest and tell him, and then comfort him, and then the next one and tell her, and then comfort her, and then the smallest and tell him, and then comfort him. So it means I have to break hamster death-related news repeatedly, but it's still better than three sobbing children. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh That's about hamsters dying. It's terrible. I know. Don't laugh at my dead hamsters. <laughs> We've got the one remaining one next to me now, but um, it, it doesn't seem to want to die. I think it's immortal, this one. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so you've, you've painted a really lovely picture. And I just wonder, where does your support and your network come from? You talked a little bit about New Family Social. I wonder what you've found within that that's worked for you as a family. Yeah, I mean, we joined New Family Social probably when it was in its infancy and went along to some meets early on without our son before before we would even been approved actually we went along to a few sort of drinks and things like that and we met people there that we're still massive friends with now mm. and that just has given us so much I mean it was only Saturday we did a, a zoom call with two friends of ours who we met way back when before, before we all had children um through new family social yeah and it, we had a great catch up with them and the kids were then also playing some computer game or something together as well so we, we all managed to have a sort of like family get together the, the littlest our littlest was in bed at that time but um the older kids could play so yeah it, it's great new family social we've also got a fantastic family network my parents are only about an hour away from us so they come and visit when they can when when restrictions allow mm -hmm. and and then we've also got friends from outside of that that we're we're really close to so we've been really lucky that we've got we started off with a good support network and then that only grew and grew and grew through new family social and um you know we love the camps yeah me as well <laughs> absolutely love those proper highlight of each year um, and then, you know, we've been on holiday with people from New Family Social. We've been skiing with people. And then hopefully when things allow, we've been on other camping trips away with people from New Family Social that have been separate to the NFS camp. And, um, you know, we're only talking on Saturday about planning a, a trip somewhere, uh, somewhere warmer when, when, we, when we can. I mean, probably that'll be next year now, but 
you know, hopefully, yes. uh, yeah, somewhere with a pool and a beach not too far away would be good. That sounds really nice. <laughs> put, my, put my name down, sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so what would your advice be? Really in two parts, I guess. One is for anyone considering adopting at all, and the other is for people considering adopting again. So in terms of considering adopting at all, I think I think you've got just got to look inside yourself and the whole thing is 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 about being open to taking in a child into your lives, which actually I think is I didn't find that difficult. I wonder what your advice would be for people who are either thinking of adopting at all or thinking about adopting again like you did. So if I start with the first bit, which is adopting at all, I think do some research, read some books, actually. But also there's loads of brilliant blogs out there that people have written about their sort of actual lives, which are are really worth diving into. Um, And I'd also say join New Family Social because you can make connections with people and those will be lifelong connections. But it's just this key thing of can you open yourself out to bringing a child into your life? And we didn't find that difficult. It did take us a little bit longer to be able to attach to our son to say that we truly loved him. It probably took about a month or so. Whilst with our daughter, it was almost instant, but I don't know if that was more to do with the two-way video, but also we were more prepared for it. And then for adopting again, you just got to be in the right place. Um, And you've really got to think about your child or children you've already got. And I guess you've got to, you almost, it's awful to say, but you've got to be pretty ruthless when it comes to finding your next child. Because you've got to think about the child or children you've already got with you. And they are number one. And they need to remain number one. Otherwise, I think that you'll end up in a situation that could be very difficult because they they're there that they've got their position. So it's just a case of I think you've got to take your time and think about what things you really value in your lives. So then that enables you to be able to see what flexibility you have. I think that's really good advice. Thank you ever so much. I'd like to thank my guest today, Sarah. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea.